you haven't got a Bible, feel free to grab one from the back. And if you would find your place there in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. This is the portion that I have been allotted to by the Holy Spirit. It was not my intention at all. I had a different plan in mind, totally. But uh, as I studied and prayed, I believe with all my heart this is where we need to be tonight. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning in verse 1 and ending in verse 1. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. The subject of holiness is a particularly unpopular one today. Preachers who will boldly teach on this subject are sorely disliked and often labelled as extremists or legalists. However, holiness is not for legalists, it's for loyalists. The true child of God is called to live in a manner that promotes the character of God. This is no easy call. Holiness is work. Holiness is hard. Holiness is a lifelong pursuit which costs a great deal. It will generate trials. It will limit worldly pleasure. It will cost friends and family. It will make you the target of animosity. It will summon the hordes of hell. It will produce enemies of your character. It may even result in your martyrdom. Therefore, one might say, why would I want any of that? The answer is simple. Because as a Christian, this is your purpose. Holiness is to be like God. It is a blessed paradox that when we pursue holiness, we are most satisfied and joyful in this life. See, we tend to think that to pursue God and holiness is to lose in a great way. But in actual fact, it is only in that pursuit that we are most satisfied and joyful in this life. Andrew Murray writes this, Let it be your business every day, in the secrecy of the inner chamber, to meet the holy God. You will be repaid for the trouble it may cost you. The reward will be sure and rich. You see, the world pursues happiness, but the Christian pursues holiness. Tonight I want to speak on the subject entitled, The Pursuit of Holiness. Lord, this is such a near and dear subject to your own heart. It is at the very core of your character. Uh, I realise that this uh, message which you have been preparing in my heart for a number of days now, uh, Lord, is a 
a hard message. It's a hard message for me as I consider my own life and my battles with the flesh and my desires that are so often not from you. And the the problems that each of us face as we live in this sin-cursed earth with all of its temptations. And Lord, holiness seems to almost be a forgotten attribute. People today, Christians today, uh, treat you with such carelessness and do not understand the sacred nature of your character and your word and that you've called us to that. I pray that tonight, uh, in these moments we have together, that we would get a fresh understanding of this biblical truth. Illuminate us to yourself and then put within us a desire to be just like you. Thank you that we can be like you through the Spirit of God who conforms us to the image of your Son. Help us tonight to understand these things we pray. Open our eyes to see and ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. First thing I want you to note tonight, the first point, and we have three. First point is simply this. The motivation for holiness. If you're taking notes, that's the first thing. The motivation for holiness. Year after year, I attended camps and conferences where I would hear the preacher speak on the subject of holiness. It was a favorite of preachers. It was always the same. God wants you to be holy. Therefore, you must come out from the world and be separate. Now, much of what I heard was good and helpful, and I'm thankful for it. But there was always something missing, and it was the motivation for holiness. I was told time and time again all of the things that I needed to remove from my life, and those things probably mostly were true and biblically based. But very rarely can I look back on my life and think of a time where I sat under the preaching of the word of God on the subject of holiness and was told about the motivation for the holiness. And that's what I want to deal with first of all. I want to ask a few questions. Why should I be holy? Why should I strive to be like Jesus? What's the reason behind the command to be holy? You see, one of the greatest tragedies, as I have already mentioned in church and in preaching today, is that the pastor so often barks out commands from the pulpit, which are mostly biblical. But there's no motivation. There's no reason given for why I should walk in that. I don't want to be that tonight. And in our text, chapter 7 and verse 1, Paul begins this chapter. Remember, there's no chapter breaks. In the original, but we have this chapter in front of us and it begins with, since we have these promises. Now, the question obviously needs to be asked, what are these promises? But before I ask that, I just want to give you a quick summary of what promises are real quick. What is a promise when it relates to God? And these promises do. What are promises? When the Bible speaks of promises that are made by God, they are divine assurances of good. That's the definition of a promise from God, a divine assurance of good. The promises of God are as fixed as his character. God cannot utter a promise that he will one day break. It is an impossibility. The very nature of God means that when he makes a promise, 
he will fulfill it. Should he ever not fulfill one of his promises, he will no longer be God. Okay, Divine assurances of good. Well, that's what promises are. But now I just want to quickly, briefly mention what are these promises? He says, since we have these promises, what promises are you talking about, Paul? Well, if you look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 14, the chapter before, Paul writes, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you. You shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. There are four wonderful promises that we find in this particular text. And these are the ones that Paul is referring to by way of motivations for holiness. All of these promises find their origin in the Old Testament. I want to give them to you real quick, these four promises. The first promise is found there in verse 16. It is the promise of his presence and proximity. He says there in verse 16, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. The promise of his presence and proximity. In other words, this is the promise of his abiding presence. In the Old Testament, you remember the Shekinah glory? You remember that visible presence of God there that led the children of Israel through the wilderness and and parked at the the, uh, the tabernacle? That was the visual presence of God. And that was the direct fulfillment of that promise that God said to Israel. But Paul transposes this promise, taking it from the Old Testament into the New. And this is what he says. He says, in the New Testament, God is going to dwell in you. He's going to make a permanent abode in his people. 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 16 there, just before this particular portion says, What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Now we did not have the privilege of being able to witness that Shekinah glory and what an incredible sight that would have been in the Old Testament. But brethren, let me remind you, we are living in a greater time. Because we do not have the Shekinah glory to lead us out there. We have the Shekinah glory, so to speak, within us that leads us moment by moment. The abiding presence of God. That is a wondrous promise that has now been fulfilled. God said, I will dwell in you. I will walk amongst you. In fact, we read in 2 Timothy 1.14 that the Holy Spirit dwells within us. If you are a believer tonight, that is an incredible promise, an incredible motivation for holiness. God lives in you. God lives in me. Furthermore, not only does he abide in us, but he walks with us. The Apostle Paul tells us there, and I will be their God. I will, excuse me, and I will walk among them. In Revelation chapter 2 and verse 1, John says to the church at Ephesus that it is Jesus who walks amongst us. The candlesticks. 
That is a representation of the church. He walks in and around his local church. The same is true for us today. The Lord Jesus walks in and around our local church and the Spirit lives within us. The promise of his presence and proximity. Number two promise. The promise of his provision and protection. Promise of his provision and protection. There in verse 16 at the end, Paul says, I will be their God and they shall be my people. This is not an abstract God who just simply demands worship and adoration alone, but a God who blesses, a God who encourages, a God who provides and protects his people. You see, tonight our God is personally concerned with the well-being of every one of his children. And he works all things together for our good, Romans 8.28 tells us. It's the promise of his provision and his protection. What's the motivation for holiness? The fact that God has promised to provide and protect us. That's a motivation to be holy. Promise number three. The promise of his favour and reception. In verse 17, he says, Therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you. You say, what does that mean? That word welcome literally means divine favour or reception. Blessing. Now, we know this truth. You've heard this week after week here. We have all the divine favor that is possible on us in Jesus Christ as it relates to salvation. We know that. Okay, you can't get any more. You can't lose any because we are in Christ. So here we speak of something a little bit different. This is a different sense of blessing for our life as a Christian. Not in the sense of our salvation. There can be no more divine favour. We have all we could possibly have in Jesus Christ. But here, the apostle alludes to a special blessing received by those who walk worthy of the Lord. Those who live in such a way as to honour the Lord. It's a conditional promise to those who are set aside to the Lord for holy use. Notice that he says, if you'll be separate, if you'll touch no unclean thing, then... I will welcome you. Then I will pour blessing and favor upon you. The promise of his favor and reception. Promise number four. And lastly, in this little set here, it is the promise of his familial relationship. His familial relationship. Look at verse 18 of chapter 6, if you would. The last I will, God says, I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me. In the Old Testament, the children of Israel were distant relatives of God. What I mean by that is that they were not direct children of God, though they were the children of Israel, they were not direct children of God. When we come into the New Testament, we are actually by the blood of Jesus Christ entered into a relationship accepted into the beloved. Now we are children of God, born again. Who would ever want to go back to the old time before Jesus Christ? We are his children by the blood of Jesus Christ. Being born again by the Spirit of God. Furthermore, God as our Father, that term denotes his headship, his leadership, and therefore our submission to him. 
There's another good reason for holiness. We're part of his family and the family motto is holiness. The family pledge is holiness. Why? Because the father of the family is a holy God. Why should I be holy? What motivates me to pursue holiness? Because God lives within you. Because God blesses and protects you. Because being holy invokes God's divine favor. Because holiness is a part of your relationship by being a child of God. I hope those motivations make sense. That's not all there are in the Bible. But these are the ones that Paul says in chapter 7 verse 1. Since we have these promises. These promises. The promise of his presence and his proximity. The promise of his provision and protection. The promise of his favor and his reception. And then the promise of his familial relationship. What great promises we have. So the second thing I want us to note in chapter 7 and verse 1. Is not the motivations for holiness now, but the means of holiness. Look what he says. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit. Now, the motivations are good, but the means is where it really hits home for us tonight. Now, at this point, I need to remind us we are not talking about positional holiness. We have position in Jesus Christ that is fixed and firm. We are perfect in him. We are speaking of practical holiness, how we live our life day by day. And I think we understand that. Paul writes, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit. This word cleanse is an interesting word. It means to make clean. It means to purify, to purge, to consecrate, often used of instruments of service in the tabernacle or the temple, also used of those who were lepers and were made whole. The word would be, you are cleansed. The high priest would say, cleansed. The high priest would say, you have no longer leprosy anymore. You are clean. It's an absolute statement. Most often used in the Bible by Dr. Luke, funnily enough, when he talks of leprosy. Let us cleanse ourselves. This assumes that there is work on our part to do. Now, some Christians would say, well, the Holy Spirit does all the work. I just need to submit to him and I'll automatically get cleansed. Now, there is the truth that the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts and challenges us. But it is a proactive decision of our will to operate in the realm of being cleansed constantly. This is not a put my feet up, everything will be okay. I have to actively pursue holiness and cleansing. It is a present continuous in our text. Let us keep on cleansing. Is this text not let us be cleansed or let us be cleansing? It is constant. We are constantly being cleansed. See, salvation is not a past tense. It's a present work which requires effort in the realm of purification. So we have to ask the question, from what are we to be cleansed? Well, Paul answers that for us here. Every defilement of body and spirit. Probably most of us would appreciate Paul not having put the word every in there. Every single 
aspect of our body and spirit. It's an interesting word again, this Greek word for defilement. It is only used here in our text. Nowhere else in the whole Bible, this word defilement. It means moral stain. It means filthiness. It means pollution. Paul makes reference to two distinct categories where defilement exists. And we see them here. Let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit. The body and the spirit. The two parts of our character. So let's look at these really quickly. Defilement of the body, the first one. This refers to all physical fleshly, external pollution. This is the defilement in our actions, in our speech, in our body. This includes, but by no means is a full list here, impure words, foolish speech, corrupt communication, bad manners, idolatry, adultery, fornication, incest, sodomy, murder, drunkenness, fighting, gluttony, and all other fleshly vices. Paul could not have packaged us up better than to say in these two categories, be free from defilement, the body and the spirit. The defilement of the body deals with our outer man. Secondly, the defilement of the spirit. This speaks perhaps much harder of our inner man. Internal pollution. Acts of the mind decisions of our heart, evil imaginations. Again, a list of these, but not fully summarized, would include lust, pride, malice, envy, covetousness, selfish ambition, revenge, unbelief, double-mindedness, and all other internal wickedness. As I said before, Paul's use of the word every means that no form of pollution, either internal or external, is permitted. This is hard. Holiness is hard. This message devastated me as I was preparing it because I, I, I struggle so much in preparing a message such as this when I'm confronted with these realities in my own life and then by the Spirit of God I have to preach them to other people when I know for my own self these things are a constant battle. So I need to uh, put my hand up and say, of all people that need it, I need it. I know I need this. I need the reminder that internal and external is to be holy. Here's a thought that we like to perhaps not consider in its fullness. Consecration cannot be done in part. You don't get a partially consecrated vessel in the sanctuary. You don't get a partially cleansed leper. These words are used for the wholeness of the character. Holiness is not a partial aspect. It involves our entire character of the Christian, both inside and outside. Now, our tendency, if we're honest, is we are very quick to clean up our act on the outside. That's what you see. 
So I need to make sure in my thinking, when I think as a fleshly individual, I'm not going to worry about my heart, but I'm just going to make sure everybody out there thinks that I'm, I'm holy. That's not holiness. In fact, that's the furthest thing from holiness. That is hypocrisy. That is putting on a mask and saying, this is who I am. The fear of man is driving me to look a certain way. That's not holiness. See, external is easy. Internal. Internal. That's where the battle is. The matter of the heart and the mind. But we are told in the scriptures all over the place that both our internal and our external parts to our character are to be brought into a place of submission and holiness before God. Here's a few verses for us on our outer man just to consider. Romans 12, 1, you know it well. I appeal to you, Paul says. I appeal. I'm on my knees begging is the Greek. By the mercies of God, because of the gospel. I'm appealing to you that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 tells us your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you. Romans 6, 13 says, do not present your members as instruments for unrighteousness. In Ephesians 4 There's a whole catalogue of sins that Paul deals with. He says in verse 25, having put away falsehood, lying. Let everyone speak the truth with his neighbour, for we are members one of another. Don't be angry and sin. Do not let your sun go down upon your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal. Let the corrupting talk no longer come out of your mouth, Paul says, but that which builds up. Holiness. In our outer man. Let me give you a few verses on holiness in our inner man. Internally. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10.5. That we are to take every thought captive to obey Christ. Every thought of my mind needs to come under this concept of Christ-likeness. Philippians 4.8 says the same thing. Whatever you think about. Make sure you think true and honest and honourable and noble etc. In that passage. Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.22, flee youthful passions, but pursue righteousness, pursue faith, pursue love, pursue peace. All of those come out of a heart that's pure calling on the Lord, Paul says. In Ephesians 4.22 and 20, uh, excuse me, Ephesians 4.22 to 24, Paul says, put off your old self, be renewed in the spirit of your mind, then Put on the new self created after the likeness of God. Both our internal and our external man need to be brought into a place of holiness. So here's the question then we have to ask. Okay, We understand all of that. He's dealing with both, both aspects of me as an individual. I can't escape this. So then the question has to be, how can I be cleansed? How can I be cleansed so that I can walk into this holiness This was a fascinating study. I I so appreciated this part. This word cleanse from chapter 7 here, let us cleanse, is found on numerous occasions, but in three other places it gives us a clear indication of how it is to be cleansed. I want to consider these quickly, these three truths. So I look up in my Greek concordance, where do I find this other word cleanse? Because they're in various places. And this is what I come up with. James chapter 4 and verse 8. The Bible says this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. This is what I find, truth number one. 
Cleansing comes by drawing near to God. The result of drawing near to God will be that you desire cleansing. See, here's what doesn't happen. If I am constantly focused on things of this life, the temporal age and my own selfish pursuits, and I do not make an attempt to draw near to God, why is it that I would want to be cleansed? I draw near to God and as I draw near to him, the natural response to that is I need to be cleansed. I need to be changed. I need to be made more and more like the Lord Jesus. The second passage that I found in this study was Ephesians 5.25. Same word appears in the Greek. He says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Cleansing, secondly, comes by the washing of the word of God. You say, how can I be cleansed? Get into God's word. Make this a focus. Because as you are washed over, as the word of God trickles into every crack of your life, you will find within you, because it interacts with the spirit of God that's in you, you will find a greater and more consuming desire to walk in a cleansed way. You see, I find that when I am discouraged, when I am down, when I have sin in my life, if I will come back to the scriptures, because I've obviously gone away from it, when I come back to the scriptures, there is a renewed desire to walk closely with my God. The word, the word will wash us. It'll cleanse us. It'll bring us back in that sweet communion with God. Thirdly, and lastly, under this question, 1 John 1.9, we know this. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Cleansing comes by confession to God. So in summary, we draw near to God. We exercise ourselves in the word of God and then we ask for cleansing from God. That is the means of our returning to a place of holiness. See, holiness is simply being set apart for God. Freed from sin. That occurs when we draw near him. When we get into the word and we confess sin as it exposes our heart before God. Just a little... Uh, addendum here some verses that we might pray as we consider holiness psalm nineteen fourteen, the psalmist says let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight O lord my rock and my redeemer that's a good prayer to pray before the lord another one is psalm 139 23 to 24 search me O god and know my heart Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. That's a great prayer in the realm of holiness. The motivations for holiness, the means of holiness. And as we draw to a close, the last thing I want us to note is the mission of holiness. The mission of of holiness, Second Corinthians 7 and verse 1 at the end of the passage says, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. We need to understand something. Holiness, 
Christ-likeness, sanctification, these are all synonyms of the same thing. It's the same jewel just being twisted slightly, see it from a different angle. It's exactly the same. They speak of the same truth. Holiness is to be sanctified. In fact, they come from the same Greek word, hagios. The word saints, by the way, which is what we are, literally means holy ones. That's what the word saint comes from. So all of these words have the same meaning. Let me state this categorically for us. I think we know this, but let me remind us. Your purpose as a Christian, young or old or anywhere in between, is to be holy. That's your purpose. Holiness is to be set apart. It's to be distinct. It's to be consecrated for divine use. It's to be sacred. Sacred. In other words, holiness simply is to be like God. God calls the Christian to pursue moral purity because that is his own character. Simply put, we were made to be like him. Someone says, but I cannot see God. How can I be like him? The answer, that's one of the reasons why the Son of God left the glories of heaven, cloaked himself in humanity and walked in this world so that you might have an icon, Colossians says, of God in human form. So that when you say, how can I exist like God? We go to the Lord Jesus Christ and we say, that's the man I pattern my life after. Everything that he did, every attitude that he displayed, all that he was and is, is what I am following after. That's why we can say with absolute certainty, I am pursuing Jesus Christ. I want to look like him. I want to be like him. I want people to say like they did of others, they must have been with Jesus. Because he is our icon. He is our pattern. He came to show us what it is to be holy. The Bible says here to bring holiness to completion. This is simply earnestly strive to live like Jesus Christ throughout his earthly life. Some time ago I was taken back by a question someone asked me. Not someone from here, so you don't all have to be worried about that. They said, why should I bother striving for a holiness when I will be glorified at death anyway? Now, I think that's more of a commentary on the person's heart than it is the question. However, it's a valid question. We die, right? And when we die as a Christian, we are glorified. That's what it says at the end of life. We've got this justification, sanctification, glorification. Why should I bother when I'm going to be glorified anyway? Now, that already indicates the problem in the heart. But let's just lay that aside. What are the reasons that I should strive after this? Well, here's a few for you just to quickly note. Because we love Christ. Motivation, number one, because we love Christ. And Christ says, if you love me, obey me. Prove your love by obedience. And what does he say? Be holy like I am holy. Because we love Christ. That's not good enough for you, which it ought to be. 
Let me give you a couple others. Because like Paul, we have renounced all civilian pursuits, Paul says, and we are striving to please the one who called us to be a soldier. 2 Timothy 2.4 We renounce the worldly pleasures because ours is not a civilian life. We're a soldier in the army of the King of Kings. And so therefore, I'm going to walk in holiness. This one I love. This is probably, aside from the love of Christ, this thrills me, this third reason. Because there is unrivaled joy in walking closely with the Lord. I get such a thrill when I come into contact with godly saints who have walked with God for a long period of time. Because you know what? They have a joy that other Christians don't have. They have a fullness of joy. And that's what the Lord Jesus said in John 15, 11. Your joy will be full. That tells me that our joy doesn't have to be full. There are times as a Christian, we have the joy of the Lord, but it may not be full because I'm not walking in close proximity with my God. I love that there is unrivaled joy. The world can offer us nothing. We have unrivaled joy. In walking close with God. Number four, because to do anything other than walk in holiness is to deny our purpose and identity. We have an identity crisis if we won't walk in holiness. We are not living up to what our destiny is. We did not be predestined and elected before the foundation of the world that we might go and live however we want. You were chosen by God's glorious grace for his own purposes for this reason that you would show forth the praises of his glory. Ephesians 1 verse 4 says that's the reason. To do anything else is to deny our purpose and identity in Christ. Number five, because of what we looked at, the motivational promises of God in this previous chapter. In chapter six, these incredible promises. And then number six, and there's so many more, but number six for us, because of the divine favor and reward that awaits us in heaven one day. Those words that we long to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Paul says, my aim is to please him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we read that one day in heaven, a holy flame is put to our works and there's gold, silver and precious stones. And those that have gold, silver and precious stones rather than wood, hay and stubble, they will receive reward, divine favor from Jesus Christ on that day. Now, if you choose not to walk in the way of holiness, you may get there one day. You will get there one day, but you may have a stack of wood, Hay and stubble. What a waste of a life. Don't waste your life when God calls you to holiness. So then finally, we have to ask this question. What shall be our attitude in this mission of holiness? What kind of an attitude should I have while I'm striving for this holiness? Well, I'm glad you asked because it's in chapter 7 and verse 1. Look at what he says at the end. In the fear of God. In the fear of God, I'm to pursue this holiness. By fear is not meant phobia, even though the Greek word comes from that. It is meant reverential fear, respect, accountability toward God. The pursuit of holiness without divine 
fear is hypocrisy. Let me say that again. The pursuit of holiness without this divine fear and reverence for God is hypocrisy. It's going through the motions. It's obeying the letter of the law without our heart engaged. So God says, if you're going to walk in holiness, then you better do it with an awe for my character. You better do it with a love and a respect for who I am, else you are just operating with hypocrisy. See, to put on and to put off spiritual attitudes and actions without a sincere desire for God is not holiness at all. See, in Ephesians chapter 4, when he says, okay, I want you to put off and then I want you to renew your mind and then put on, if you fail to do the middle part, if you just put off and go straight to put on without renewing the spirit of your mind, without getting the correct perspective of God, you're just a hypocrite. I'm just a hypocrite. I'm just doing it because, well, that's what I was told to do. And this is probably my big bugbear when it comes to what I have heard for so many years because I have been told, take this off and put this on, but I missed something major in the middle, and that is all for God. Love God. Have a passion for Him. Know who He is. Therefore, you will want to put on His righteousness and the deeds that He desires. We fail to get that middle part, and we will just go around Fulfilling the motions and the goals of others and not what the Lord Jesus says. You can only pursue holiness when you come to honour God and be in awe of his character. You cannot be like someone you do not know. Just a couple of examples as we finish. I love when I read Exodus 34, when Moses comes down from the mountain he's been with God so reflective is his face of the glory of God that the people cannot even look upon him a veil is put on his face oh that it were the same with us not that there would be a physical veil over us but that people would look and say they have spent time with God look at how they radiate Look at the joy. Look at the set-apartness. Look at what they want to do in order to serve the Lord. Look at what they won't do because they love him supremely. Wow. I then think of Peter and John, who I alluded to before in Acts chapter 4, 13, where uh, they've been uh, preaching the gospel and they've been telling others about the Lord Jesus. They are uneducated men, Luke says there. Uneducated men. These are just fishermen. They're uneducated. And yet they speak with boldness and a passion and they have a holiness. How is this possible? And the high priests are amazed and they say, we take note. These men have been with Jesus. You see, that proves to me it's not about education. It's not about how much you know, but how much time have you spent with God. And then lastly, I think of one of my favorite passages of Scripture, Isaiah chapter 6. And you recall in that passage of Scripture, the seraphim are crying to one another in the, in the heavenly vision there. And there, there's Isaiah and he's witnessing this incredible Sight, And in fact, it's Jesus Christ on the throne. We read about that in chapter in John and we read about that passage. And here he is. And the whole of heaven is adoring the Lord Jesus Christ. And they are bowing and they are praising. And Isaiah is overwhelmed at the whole thing. And he simply says, woe is me. I am a man undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the king. 
the Lord of hosts. And in brackets, we would say, it's changed me. See, that's what happens when we come into contact with this Jesus Christ. When we come into contact with God, when we see him for who he is, we don't need to be sitting here and suddenly a vision occur. This is the vision of our God in front of us in this book. And as we would spend time in this book, the Lord Jesus Christ will turn us from a person who is interested in their own things to a set-apart individual who upholds Christ, exalted and holy before him. We must pursue holiness because of the promises of God. We must pursue holiness by actively seeking to be cleansed from every defilement of the flesh and spirit. We must pursue holiness because it is our call and our identity in Christ We must pursue holiness out of awe and respect for our great God. Here's what Charles Spurgeon wrote. If you think you can walk in holiness without keeping up perpetual fellowship with Christ, you have made a grave mistake. If you would be holy, you must live close to Jesus. May we, may we here actively Pursue holiness and in so doing, discover the supreme joy that is only found in close communion with our God. Lord, thank you for this time together. Thank you for those who've come out tonight. Lord, I uh, am again just in awe and amazed at uh, your goodness towards me and even being able to stand before these people and share such a message thank you for the reminder that i have had now twice more than twice and lord for these my friends my brothers and sisters lord may they view all that we have talked about tonight in the context of the pages of scripture before us may the spirit of god move in our midst and do a work in our hearts help us to understand your holiness Lord, help us to be motivated to walk in a holy manner because of all that you have done for us. Help us to desire cleansing within, to be set apart, to come out from the world, not because some preacher says so, but because our heart desires to please you. Lord, free us from ourselves and our own fleshly desires. Cleanse our body and our spirit. Help us to pursue holiness, Uh, Lord, moving forward, that we would make it a priority, that we would do as the songwriter says, take time to be holy, that we would walk in sweet communion day by day in fellowship with you. Lord, it's so hard to get the balance right with all that happens in life, but, oh, Lord, may you be our priority. May we seek first the kingdom of God. May our hearts, like David, have a passion for you. As the deer pants after the water brooks, so pants my soul after you. May that be the cry of our heart tonight, I pray. Thank you for this time in your word. As we close in singing, we pray that we would sing with truth from the heart the words that we're about to. In Jesus' name, amen.